Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Whenever I go someplace, I have to be able to have my, my, some reference points. So thankfully, I have, I have Siri, so I'm going to ask Siri a question. So hang on a second. Let's see if this works. Siri. How far is Chipotle from the Trump International Hotel in Miami? We'll see what she says. I found a few places matching Trump International Okay, okay. How far is Chipotle from there? This is very important to me. Okay. This may not be completely accurate, but 4200 Northwest 36. Okay, good. So I have 4200 Northwest 36, so I can hit this button, and now I get directions. I can actually get directions from... So I can go, so I know, no matter where I am, I know where the nearest Chipotle is. That's very important to me. It makes me feel better when I go on a long trip that no matter where I am. And it looks, it's 4200 Northwest Miami Springs. So when I get there, I can just type in, I can, I can just do the location thing, and it'll tell me the fastest route, the exact best directions to get from the Trump Hotel to the nearest Chipotle. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we have the ability to be able to do these days? Is to get the exact directions, the quickest, shortest way from where we are headed to where we want to go so that we don't waste any time. Now, don't you wish that we had an app like this for our lives? Wouldn't it be so great to be able to say, okay, I'm here and I want to get here, so please uh, type it and, and say, can I get the shortest distance, the sh- quickest way, the exact straight line directions to get from here to the job that I would really love to have, to the career that I'd really love to be able to master, to the spouse that I'm dying for, to, to the home that I'd love to live in, to the income I'd like to have, to the children I'd love to be able to have. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could type something like this in and it would give you the straightest, sh- shortest, most efficient route to exactly where you want to go? And it isn't it a bummer. That when we look at our, our lives, it seems so often that with God, it doesn't seem like that is the case for us. It seems like, like we would want him to give us the shortest distance, but that's not how it works. So um, I think that God puts us on journeys that are often different than what we would expect. And it kind of looks like this. So I drew a picture. You can see it up on the screen. Can you see that picture? There you go. The shortest distance between two points, as everyone says, is a straight line between A and B. However, when it comes to our lives, oftentimes the shortest distance between two points, when it comes to God leading us, looks more like this. Yeah, it looks more like that. Now I want you to look at that distance for a minute because that's maybe how a lot of times we feel. God, I know that what I want is good. Where I feel like I, I should be is good. Where I'm at is not good. And I don't understand why I, I only have a few decades to live in this life. I only have so much time. I can only, you know, have, have these little windows of opportunity. And God, I feel like I want to get over here so bad. And yet, look at the route that you take. Why do you do that to me, God? Why do you do that? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. And we're going to look at a couple of things today because actually the, the line that I drew is more accurate than you think it is. 
at, at first glance. Because it's very similar, can you put it back up please? Um, it's very similar to actually the route that the Israelites took from Egypt to the promised land. So go ahead and throw the next slide up. As you can see, basically in a nutshell, the, uh, the, the red line on the side is when e the Israelites left Egypt, they began a journey that God was going to take them to the promised land. Now the red line is the, basically the fastest way that you could get. If you were to ask Siri um, when they were leaving Egypt, if they said, hey, Siri, how do I get from this place where I've been in captivity for 400 years to the promised land? That red line is the route that she probably would have given However, the route that God takes them on is the green line. And as you can see, there is a large percentage of that journey where they are going exactly the wrong direction from where they were supposed to be going. A journey that should have only taken a little bit of time. It turned out to take like 40 years. And the question that I want to figure out is why? Why does God... When we so clearly wish for a straight line in life, when we so clearly plan and prepare um, to receive what we think we should have, why does God give us a squiggly line? That's the question I want to ask today is why the squiggly line? And so um, as we look at this verse, we're going to be able to understand this. Now you'd think that after such a great victory, as we talked about last week with the uh, the Passover, where they put the blood on the doorposts, and as Gabe so beautifully described it today during our singing, how the blood of Jesus covers our sins, it takes away our sins, it removes us, but it covers us as well because the angel of death passes over and the firstborn children of the Israelites are spared, the firstborn children of the, of the Egyptians are not because they don't have the blood. So, this is what happens, and then Pharaoh says, get out of here, go. In fact, the Bible says that the um, Israelites actually plunder the Egyptians because the Egyptians are so freaked out. They're like, here, take our stuff too. We don't care. Take everything we have. Just get out of here. Don't come back. And they do. And as soon as they leave, however, some interesting things begin to happen. And so, when you look at your life, and I look at my life, why does God do this sort of stuff where you see the line there should have been totally straight, they could have saved so much time, so much energy, they could have gotten started so much quicker, but instead he takes them on this ridiculously long and seemingly unnecessary journey. Why does God do that sort of stuff? Well, actually, let's start reading from Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, and we can answer this question. And this is what it says. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel. Now remember, they're leaving the Egyptians. 400 years, they're leaving. They're, they're supposed to be on their way to freedom. And it says, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of a name I can't pronounce, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will, listen to this, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And catch this, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Did you catch that? Tell the people of Israel to turn back. God, what, what are you doing? I mean, all this time, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go, right? We show the same video every single week. Let my people go. And all these plagues, everything else. And Pharaoh says, no, no, no. Finally, the, 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 the great, horrible um, firstborn attack plague happens, and then they all leave. 
and you think this is so great, and what happens is Pharaoh's got, he's got trackers, he's not an idiot, he's got spies, he's got people that follow them out, and he's, he knows, he knows, he gets reports on their movements. He is, remember, he has just lost his entire labor force. His entire economy has been wrecked forever, and it's under his watch that this has happened. This is a major, major catastrophe and disaster for them economically and everything else for this to happen. So he's watching them. And God says, I want you to turn around, and why? So that he will see what you're doing, and he'll think that you're lost. And when he thinks that you're lost, he'll think that you've given up your resolve, and then he's going to go after you. Really? And this is a good idea? But what does God do? God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And then what does he say? He says, and so the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Wait a second. The Egyptians will know. Why does it matter if the Egyptians, I thought the whole deal was like the Israelites would know. Like God's doing all this great stuff so the Israelites would know that God is Lord. Why does God care about the Egyptians? This is very important. God cares about the Egyptians because the Egyptians were worshiping all kinds of false gods that were ruining and destroying their lives. And for some reason, God just loves everybody. God just doesn't love the people he's committed to in this case. God loves everybody that he's made. And he wants everyone to know who he is. Because if you know God, then you know his love, and you know his freedom, and you know his grace. People will often ask me, they'll often say to me, Tim, why do you think your religion is so great? And why, why, why does your religion have to be the only one? And why can't we just have all kinds of different ways to God? And my answer is always the same. I will say, because if I, have, if, if I believe in a God who allows many different paths to him, then I got a sick, schizophrenic God. And I do. Because my God, the God that I believe in, or the faith that I believe in, says, um, Tim, you have grace. Your sins of lust and greed and pride and, and uh, manipulation and all this kind of stuff, and all these things that you struggle with your whole life, those things have been covered and washed away by the blood of Jesus. You know, put the blood on the doorpost, I pass over. Okay, that whole thing, that happens with my life. So I'm given free grace. I'm not, I'm not asked to do all these things and jump through all these hoops. So why do I get free grace, but the guy over here, is, this, if the same God tells him, well, I saved him by grace, but you, no, you have to work for it. You have to blow yourself up. You have to climb a mountain. You have to bow down all the time. You have to worship a bunch of statues. You have to, you have to believe in some kind of circular reincarnation where you go around and around and around. You never know if you ever make it to any kind of nirvana or any kind of peace. You always have insecurity. So the same God gives me grace and gives that person this kind of futile um, reaching and, and, and grasping at anything they can to try to wake up some sleeping or distant God? What kind of sick God is that? Really? That's, that's, you, that's a preferable God to the one that I believe who wants everyone to know what he's shown me? I don't know. You figure it out. The point is God wants everyone to know who he is. And here's the kicker. Sometimes he's going to do things in your life so that others can see who he is. This is very hard. This is, like, is going to be one of those sermons I was writing this. I'm like, uh, this is going to be a tough one. Because this is like a 201 or 301. You know what I mean? This, we're not putting the cookies on the bottom shelf today. Because this, we're going to say some things today to you that may bother you, but but I'm saying them because as I'm saying them, you're going to understand. It, you may not like it, but you will understand why things sometimes happen that you wish didn't happen. 
and why God does certain things. Remember the key phrase he says here. He says, I will get glory. Now why the squiggly line? The squiggly line often happens in our lives because the squiggly line brings God glory. Because my life is first and foremost about the glory of God. Now that's going to offend some of our sensibilities. Because we say, hey, my life isn't about God's glory. My life's about me and my dreams and my, my expectations and my desires. It's not about God being made real and powerful and good and holy and righteous to other people. It's about what I, I mean, he's made me to be able to do what I want to do. Now those two things are very, very different. But the, but the goal of life, our lives, is that God would be glorified. And that, that means sometimes that things are not always going to go the way that we would expect. So in this case, God purposely turns the Israelites around and tells them to start going the other way so that Pharaoh will, will actually come after them. He's going to make the Israelites' life worse. Now that's an important thing for some of you that are new Christians. If you're new Christians, it's very important. Oftentimes, you're told like by the TV preachers and other people that if you just come to Jesus and you sow a seed and you give some money and you turn your life over to Jesus, that all of a sudden everything's going to get better and rosy and good. But I've found for a lot of times for people who when they first come to Christ, oftentimes their life gets worse um, right after and not necessarily better. Because sometimes you might have to walk away from certain friends or certain relationships or certain habits or certain desires. And all of a sudden, and you remember, you're now entering a spiritual battle too. And all of a sudden things may happen that are really difficult and hard. And you're like, I don't understand this. It's not that you feel worse in a sense that like, I know I'm doing the wrong thing. No, you're doing the right thing. But the environment around you might get tougher. Why? Because God is using you for his glory. And you may be on this journey that is a rather squiggly line. So, this is what happens. Now, the other thing, too, is, that's amazing about this is when we look at um, what the Israel, how the Israelites reacted to all this. The Israelites reacted very, obviously, they were kind of freaked out about this. Listen to what this says in verse 10. Verse 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to, to the Lord. Listen to this. They said to Moses, listen to this. This will blow your mind. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Are you hearing this? 400 years in captivity. And they get out and they see the Egyptians. We were better off as slaves. We were better off as people who were oppressed with no sense of future, with no destiny. We would have just died there. We were better off. Fear makes you say some pretty crazy things. But this is where they were at. Leave us alone that we may serve. Listen, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? They're, they're, they're rewriting history. Didn't we tell you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Holy cow. We would have been better off as slaves. See, freedom, my friends, freedom carries with it certain responsibilities. Freedom carries with it the idea. I remember um, it's weird when you first get set free from stuff. I remember when I was at um, um, commission officer training two years ago for the Air Force, 
And when you go to an environment like that, if you've been in any kind of basic training environment, you know what I'm talking about, they run your life. It's really weird at first, but after like three days, you just get used to it. You know, you can't, you can't walk by yourself. You can't walk normally. You have to walk in formation. You have, to, you have to march. You have to call out your steps. When you go to eat, I remember we'd sit there and we'd eat, and uh, there would be um, each, each table had a position on it. And you'd have to, one guy would sit here, one guy would sit here, and then you had a roll. So if you, if you were the first person at the table, you had to, you had to sit in one, in one uh, spot on the table, and you had to stand like this until the table was full. And then, you had, and then you sat down. And then when you ate, you ate in silence. No one could say anything to anybody. It's very bizarre. And so you'd eat, and, and then when you were done, you'd kind of like make eye contact with the other people, and then you have a whole process of like the guy, this guy, this position would move his plate over to the next position and then this guy over here would take your tray and then you'd all stand up at the same time and this guy at this table would wipe the table down and the other guy would pick up the napkin thing and, and if you, the wrong guy picked up the little napkin thing, oh, that's bad. Because they had monitors and they'd walk over and they'd go, they would just give you the business, man. What do you think you're doing? Every little tiny speck of your life was regulated. So after like two weeks of this stuff, this is where you live, three meals a day all the time, you get it. Unless you're just not thinking. But if you're just always aware of stuff, you start getting it. So that's, that's not the problem anymore. The problem is not, is not when you, it's not that you don't understand how to do all these little rules. Because you, you, start, you start learning the culture, man, you're just like, I can do this all day. The problem is when one day they say, you don't need to do that anymore. And the instant reaction we all have is, what do we do? What do we do? I, I don't, and it's the weirdest thing. So they're like, we, you mean we can go over to the BX and we don't, like, we can go that far by ourselves? Really? Oh, yeah. And, you're, and we were walking, we were so scared. We're walking down the sidewalk. We're like, there's no one around. It's just, it's just and we're not walking, we're not calling anything out. We're just walking normal. It's like, this is so scary. Freedom is scary. Freedom is scary. I'm going to tell you, some of you, when, you, when you've been brought from death to life and you've been, you've been uh, and there's a lot of prisoners, this is the way we're talking, a lot of prisoners feel this way too and they finally get out of jail. That's like Shawshank Redemption. The guy's like freaked out. He's like, can I go to the bathroom, you know, because he's working at the grocery store because he, he had to, for all of his life, he had to ask to go to the bathroom. They're like, you don't have to go ask to go to the bathroom. And they, they had a hard time. A lot of prisoners, when they get out of jail, they don't know what to do. But the same thing, when, you, when your life has been when a, a prison and all of a sudden God sets you free, that's why so many people slip back into legalism. They don't understand the freedom we have in Christ. They want rules and regulations to follow to try to please God because they don't understand the freedom that they have. But freedom can be a scary thing. And so here they are, and they're like, we have this wide open world in front of us. God, could, God can do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's unpredictable. My life is unpredictable right now, and I don't know what to expect anymore. And I'm so afraid about what I can't expect that I'd rather go back to being a slave. And I think sometimes that's the way we are. Because we go, God, I don't know what you're doing with this journey. You're, I, I don't know if I can trust you to carry me through. You know what? It's better to go back here with this life of sin. It's better to stop trusting you. It's better to, put, to make this person God and this substance God and this way of thinking God because at least that way I knew what to expect. But with you, who knows what you're going to do with my life? Because it's not going the way I thought it would go. And this is how they're speaking. So that's very important. And listen to this. If you go back to the last chapter in verse 17, listen to what God's, the, the, the God's rationale on this. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. In other words, he didn't lead them on the straight line path. And how do we know? 
Because this, by the way, the straight line path is the land of the Philistines because that's another word we get for Palestine. So like the word, the area of Palestine is synonymous with Philistine. That's why they call it Palestine because it comes from the word Philistine. So he was going to, he, he didn't want to direct them on a straight line. Why? This is why. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Because they're not ready. They're not ready for what it's going to take to get them on the straight line. They're not ready. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. God knew. You guys are freaking out because the Egyptians are coming after you. You haven't seen nothing yet. If I took you the other way, you're just going to turn around and start running. Take me back, take me back, take me back. You're not ready for the promised land yet. You're not ready. So the second reason for the squiggly line is because the squiggly line builds my faith. It builds my faith. Now this is really important. I thought about this and it bothered me because I realized how much I've, like, and I've, when I've wrestled with God over things and I'm like, God, I don't understand. I feel like you made me for X, Y, and Z and then I'm over here. You know what I mean? Like I feel like that if, I, if you just allowed open this door, open that door, and you wouldn't let this happen in my life and that happen in my life, I could be way over here where I feel like this is the reason that you made me. So I'm frustrated at God sometimes throughout different periods of my life because I'm like, I don't get it. I, I, I want to, I'm here, I want to be here. Why are you doing this with me? And this passage really helped me think that through. And so I would like to put it to you this way. My goal, and this is probably the same thing with you. My goal in my, for my life is to maximize my accomplishments. Okay? Listen to this. God's goal has always been to maximize my faith. Okay? I want you to hear that. God, my goal for me has been how much can I accomplish? How can I maximize the potential I have of my life through my accomplishments? God's goal for me has been how can I maximize my faith? How can Tim become the most faithful person he can possibly be. Another way of putting it is when we look at potential. So you throw up the other slide. Where, where, we, had a, we had a slide there. Um, yeah. There we go. It's going up there at some point. Are we having problems with the computer? No. Okay. So maybe we just didn't have that. All right. Bummer because I had it up on the slide. Okay. So the point is um, if we have potential, the potential we often think is expressed through accomplishments. But the potential we have in terms of what God's looking at, at us is the maximization of our faith. The, our, us reaching our full potential. Because God wants us to reach our full potential. But he doesn't, he, he's not interested necessarily in that expressing itself through accomplishments as much as he's interested in it uh, expressing itself through faith. Now you gotta, now you gotta like... That's like not a one-on-one thing. That's like, that's like heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Because that causes you to sit back and go, okay, okay. So I see. So God takes me on this path so that, not that I would accomplish everything I hope I'd accomplish in my life, but so that I would develop a strong and resilient and confident and powerful faith and in doing that, I end up bringing him glory. By the way, this is all over the New Testament. Jesus himself 
What is his greatest concern for us? Listen to, listen to this. In Luke 17, verse 6, he says, The Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus like, if you guys just had like that much faith, you could do crazy, crazy stuff. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 probably says it even more clearly than that. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say without accomplishment, without a resume, without great success, without all the planets lining up, it's impossible. It doesn't say that, you guys. It says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then he goes on in the rest of the book to talk about all of these people who never got what they thought they would get, but in the process of on the journey, they develop this unshakable faith. So I wonder... This is like, this is really something I wish I had even more time before I even preach this to think about and even develop this idea greater. Because I wonder if you were to look back on your life now, not through the lens of, oh, I wish this would have happened or I wish that would have happened. But if you look back on your life and say, say, if God has been trying to develop my faith, how, how does that change the way my life looks now? How does the way, does my life make more sense if the goal has been to develop my faith, not to allow me to accomplish everything I'd hoped I would accomplish. That, you may not like that, and I may not like that. However, it might bring clarity to you in terms of some of the things that have happened. Does this make any sense? I think it is. I, I, wanna, I really want to help you because I struggle with this stuff myself. And I'm trying to just figure this out. So what happens with the whole story of the Red Sea? Well, the Israelites are pinned. They have the Egyptians coming after them on one side, and they got the Red Sea on the other side. So God causes the east wind to rise up and blow the uh, water. And by the way, um, the commentators are very interesting. They say God used natural means to do a supernatural thing, and it's true. Because there, there were, in that region, there were um, reports of that happening, that the wind at times would be able to blow back the water to a certain point where it would, you know, kind of change where the water would go. This was just a very, very extreme and powerful and amazing and only God could do it kind of a thing because it cleared enough of this path that two million people could cross and then um, the ground was literally dried up so God allowed all their, you know, their, they didn't get stuck in the mud and then, you know, all these storms came and everything else and the chariots of the Egyptians started slipping in there and then the water comes and then they all drown. And so it was this crazy thing that happened. So how does it end? Chapter 14, verse 30. Listen to this. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And in verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people, ah, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. You guys... Ecclesiastes says this, Solomon says this, what, after everything you look at, Solomon had more wealth, more women, more anything than anybody could ever have in all of history. And he says at the end of his life, everything he pursued to try to find happiness, he said the, the, um, to bring God glory and to believe and have faith in him and to fear him, to be in awe of him, not to be afraid of him like, oh, but to, to be in awe of him, to be amazed by him, to, have, to be wide-eyed about him is the, is the greatest thing you could possibly do with your life. And what happened? 
because the Israelites were put on a U-turn, because they were put off course, that whole, if you look geographically, there was, they, they never would have had to cross the Red Sea ever if they had gone a straight line right to, to, uh, to Egypt or right to the Promised Land. They wouldn't have had to take the route. They wouldn't have had to have that whole thing happen at all. The very reason that God sent them on a U-turn was so he could perform the greatest thing that he'd ever seen him do. So some of us, what we need to do today is we need to be able to kind of come to terms with stuff and say whether it was my fault or someone else's fault or whatever, the point is I'm here where I am and God, rather than being upset at you or mad at you or feeling like a failure or feeling like this or like this didn't work out and my life is ruined and I can't do this anymore and whatever else, rather than all of that, use what's happened in your life up to this point and say, God, I actually believe in you and I believe that you can do anything and I actually believe that I am here for your glory, not for my own. Therefore, I am going to work on developing the strength of my faith and belief that you are here for my good and that you are here to be able to, uh, to show your goodness in me by what you do with my life and therefore I am open to whatever you have for me. That's a very hard thing to do, but it's a very necessary thing to do. Because from this point, this is very important. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 13, so back a little bit, in, in chapter 13, towards the end of the chapter, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. You see what happened is God leads him out of Egypt and he t- takes him on this squiggly line. But he doesn't say like a reality TV show, like, okay, here you are, here's the promised land. Um, first one there gets $100,000. You know, go. Find a camel, whatever. Get, you know, race there. No, he didn't do that. He goes, I'm going to take you there, but all I want you to do, all I want you to do is follow the pillar. In the daytime, there'll be a pillar of cloud. In the nighttime, there'll be a pillar of fire. I'm not asking you to do anything else but follow the pillar. You say, Tim, what do I do? I don't understand. I, there's, I'm dealing with all this pain. I'm in the midst of a crisis. I'm in the midst of like, my, I, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going anymore. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. God, like, God, I feel like God shattered my dreams. I wish you could see that. If you could maybe go back to that, that, that original thing of the point A, point B with the squiggly line. If you go back to that real quick. You may be like way down there at the bottom. By the way, that's where the Israelites got the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai. Did you know that? Way down at the bottom. That's where their whole culture was built, down there on that mountain. So way down at the bottom is where they got the Ten Commandments. But you might be way down there, and where you want to get is way up there. That may, that may be where you are right now. You say, Tim, I don't understand. I don't understand. What am I supposed to do? Don't think that you're at the end of the line. You're just way down there. The end of the line is coming. Your job is to do what? Follow the pillar. Just follow the pillar. Well, Tim, what do you mean by that? I mean, do what God asks you to do day in and day out, and day in and day out, and don't waver from Him. Because at the end of the day, what's going to matter when you stand before God is not your accomplishments, is not how many things you checked off your bucket list. What's going to matter is the size of your faith. And how strong your faith was. And part of that faith is accompanied by optimism. It's accompanied by obedience. It's accompanied by God, I'm not going to give up believing in you. Even though I, I think we're supposed to go that way. 
and clearly you're taking me that way. Okay. Now how can I say this with such um, certainty? Because this is what we're given in Exodus. This is, what, this is an actual true life thing that happened. The Israelites made it to the promised land. Just not the way they thought. I look at my life, and I tell you, like right where I am right now, there's, there's, there's some things that I'm like, God, there's blessings in my life that you're giving me that I never, when I was you know, 25 years ago, I just never could have thought of that. I wasn't even on the radar screen. I didn't think that I would be experiencing some of the, the great things that you're allowing me. They didn't happen the way I thought they would. And there's times that in my life, and thankfully I'm in my early 40s now, and I'm sure I have, I have you know, pitfalls ahead, you know, just whatever life takes turns, and who knows what will happen. But as of now, I, I, you know, my, my 30s were kind of hard, you know, just some things, some disappointments, and, you know, late 20s were kind of hard, and some things I, I thought, I thought oh, this would happen and that would happen, didn't happen. I had to deal with some major U-turns along the way. But you know what? I realized that I could not see things the way I see them. I could not experience some of the joy I experience now if I had not gone through that. Because I wasn't in the place to receive that. I had been the worst pastor in the world at this place if I had gone directly from my church in California right to here. Instead, God had to send me about 60 miles east to plant a church that beat the heck out of me. It just beat the crud out of me. It, it made me feel this big. I would not have been ready to come from California directly to Compass Church had I not had to go through that little detour of the church plant that I did for five years. Because I, I, would, have been, I would have been a catastrophe for you all. I would have been a catastrophe. Only then, once I had gone through that little cauldron, was I ready to be able to start taking the journey with you. So you should thank God. Why? Because the purpose of, and again, <laughs> why, why did God allow me to go through that? Because the purpose of, of, his, of my life for him is not for, to, to do everything I asked him to do. The purpose of my life for him is to, is to get glory. <laughs> so that's why I had to go through that. Because God's like, Tim, I, I need to be glorified in your life, and so I have to take you this direction. That's why. And my goal for you is to maximize the faith that you have in me, not to maximize your resume or everything you think should happen. So I just want to end with this, in my very few seconds I have left, is that with all of this, we cannot forget that Jesus Christ is the, is the very greatest reason that we are to have hope. Why would God send his only son to the earth to be crucified and brutally tortured for you to cover your sins, to put that, his blood over the doorposts of your life just to lead you out in the desert to die? Why would he do that? So if you ever have a problem with faith, You've got to go back to Jesus. You've got to go back to Jesus and go, man, why, why would God save me only to let me die out here? Why would God save me only to cast me aside? Why would God save me only to bring a whole life of disappointments that, we, that never end for no reason at all? No, 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 no. Our faith and hope begins and ends with the person of Jesus. And that's why I'd invite you, if you don't know him today, start. Start by saying, God, I believe that you came down and that you've covered my sin and that you want to lead me out of all the things that have been strangling me. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. So let's pray together. God, thank you that we have stories like this that can help us understand and make sense out of some of the things that have happened to us in our lives. God, we know a lot of times that there's um, that sin and our, our own bad decisions and lack of wisdom is the reason why a lot of the things have happened to us, but a lot of times it's not. It's just who would have known? But I pray for people in here today who 
need to know you for the very first time. They need to surrender their lives to you. And maybe because they're, they're mad at you because life isn't turning out the way that, that, that they thought it would. And so they're holding on to this thing and they're not ready to turn over to you. I pray that today they would turn their lives over to you because they would recognize for the first time that their life is not primarily for all they want to accomplish, but it's for you to develop them into people who can inherit eternity. Eternity. And it starts with a relationship with Jesus. So I pray that anyone here today who needs to know that would say, God, today I turn my life over to you. I, I want to be a recipient of your grace. God, please forgive my sins. I want to be covered by your blood. Today I become a Christian. Today I become a follower. Today I start my journey of faith. I'm no longer holding on to these things I held on to before. God, I release them. And I follow the pillar. I walk according to your rules. God, for those of us who've made that decision long ago, but we're scratching our heads, may we just recommit ourselves to realizing that this life in freedom sometimes is scary. Slavery is so much easier sometimes when we think about all the things that we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But God, we follow you. You are wild. We don't know what you're going to do, but we believe you are good. And we believe you are holy and you are worthy of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.